love to start today with a little exercise in the imagination, if you would go there with me. So imagine you were Jesus. You're not, just to be clear, but (laughs) imagine you were. Imagine you could do the things that Jesus could do. And you only had a a couple years, a few short years, in which to do them, in which to make an impact. Imagine you could do what Jesus could do. Uh, Imagine if you were the greatest teacher of all time. You know, three weeks ago, Lou made a strong case that Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever walked the face of the earth. Imagine if you were that kind of teacher. If you had that kind of wisdom and insight, that kind of oratory skill, that kind of charisma that could draw crowds of thousands to hang on your every word. Imagine if you could do that. What would you do? Imagine if you had the power that Jesus had. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tom talked about Jesus, the miracle worker, and the kind of power and authority he had over nature. I mean, maybe you'd make your snow removal that much easier for yourself. I don't know, but power over nature, power and authority over unclean spirits that tormented people, power and authority over every kind of sickness and disease. Imagine you had all that, all that kind of power. You could do all that. And you were that kind of a teacher. And you knew that you only had a few years until your ministry, your life on earth was going to end to kind of exercise those gifts. How would you make use of that time? What would you want to accomplish What would you want to make sure that you got done? What kind of legacy would you want to leave? It's great, you know, great question to ponder. You know, if I'm honest, I think my first my first response would be just to make sure that I got to as many people as I as I possibly could. With all this wisdom and and insight that I would have, if I was such a great teacher, I would want as many people as possible to hear my teaching. I'd want butts in the seats launch a PR campaign to get as many people to hear my words as possible so that they could be blessed by my teaching. If I had the sort of power and authority in a way that Jesus did to work miracles, maybe I'd try to stop as many natural disasters as I could, rescue people from danger or suffering. Maybe, you know, I would try to just, if I could heal diseases, wouldn't I want to just heal as many people as I possibly could in the short amount of time that I had? Honestly, I think that would be sort of my first response. And I don't know what yours would be, but... It's interesting to look at how Jesus did choose to to prioritize things during his ministry. He did heal a lot of people, and he did preach to large crowds. He did a lot of ministry to, to kind of multitudes, to large groups of people. But he that wasn't necessarily his aim to reach as many people as possible in that window with what he could do. A favorite author of mine named David Platt, he puts it this way in his book, Radical Together. During his ministry on earth, Jesus spent more time with 12 men than with everyone else put together. More time with 12 men than everyone else put together. In John 17, where Jesus is about to go to the cross and he kind of recounts his ministry and and looks back on it, he doesn't mention the multitudes he preached to or the miracles he performed. As spectacular as those events were, They were not his primary focus. Instead, Jesus speaks about the men in whom he had invested his life. They were his focus. Just think about that. I mean, 12 guys. 
of all the things that Jesus could do, all the gifts that he had, all the impact that he could make, to really make 12 guys his primary focus, to spend more time with them than with everyone else put together. That's profound, and it's worth looking at. So that's what we're going to do today. Look at Jesus' work and ministry with these 12, these 12 disciples. It tells us a lot about who Jesus is, so there are takeaways for us in just understanding more about Jesus, what he's like, what God is like, and there are takeaways for us as followers as we look at these early followers of Jesus as well. Um, you could turn to pretty much any page of all four Gospels and find a great lesson that involves the Twelve. But for the sake of an overview, we're just going to try to try to do a flyover. And I'm going to look back to, to what Pastor Tom introduced us to when, when the series began. Pastor Tom gave us three keys to understanding the Gospels. Three M's, because we love, you know, words that start with the same letter. So the first of these was the man, Jesus. Part of our series in looking at, at Jesus' life is just look at Jesus as a man. Who was he? What was he like? Look at his identity, who he was. What did it mean that he was man, human? What did it mean that he was God? In our life groups this past week, we studied a passage where it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So basically, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to understand God's character and just know what he's like, you can look at Jesus and you'll see. You look at Jesus and you know what God is like. So we're going to look at the man, Jesus. The second thing is to look at the message of Jesus. He did a lot of teaching, a lot of spectacular teaching, but Lou did a great job a few weeks ago kind of boiling down the core of Jesus' message was what's called the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then finally, our third M that we're going to kind of look through the, the life of Jesus through is the mission of Jesus. It gets summarized in a lot of different ways, but one really great, concise summary of Jesus' mission is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' mission was to come on a rescue mission to reconcile people to God, to seek and to save that which was lost. So I'm going to look at the life of the disciples through these three lenses, the man, the message, and the mission. We'll break them down one by one, but what I think you'll find, what I hope you'll find as we go today, is that these three things are totally inseparable. They're intricately linked together. You can't fully appreciate or understand one apart from the others. And what we'll see in, in the 12, and Jesus walking with them, that Jesus' call to them was a call to all three. He called them to himself, he called them to his message, and he called them to his mission all tied up together. Again, we could look at any page of the Gospels and find a great, a great example of his work with the Twelve. But our key text today, if you'll open with me, is in Mark chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or an electronic version thereof, open with me to Mark chapter 3, and, and we'll just kind of keep this open as we go. For the sake of an overview, we'll look uh, at Jesus' initial calling of the Twelve who they were, and what Jesus called them into. So the context in Mark chapter 3 is that uh, large crowds have begun to follow Jesus. He's been performing miracles. He's been doing a lot of teaching, great teaching. He's got a number of disciples. We don't know how many, but there's a lot of people who've been following him around, women and men, kind of following him around, uh, devoted to learning from him, uh, wanting to know more of what he's about. Uh, but at this point, Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to call the 12. So in Mark 3, verse 13... We pick up. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. 
He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boenerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So a few quick observations from this passage. One is just the nature of how Jesus called them. It's important to, figure, to, to realize Jesus called them. This was a pretty serious moment, a very uh, significant moment in his ministry, and he didn't do it willy-nilly. It wasn't like, I'm looking for 12 guys, you know, anyone kind of interested being, being one of my disciples? I mean, this is kind of, it's kind of a solemn event. He goes up onto a mountainside, he calls them, he calls 12 uh, the people in that day would have, would have heard overtones then of Moses up on the mountain bringing the law to the 12 tribes of Israel, the Ten Commandments. A hugely significant moment. And so those overtones would indicate this is a hugely significant moment. It's not done casually or willy-nilly. Uh, G- Jesus calls them. Uh, in Luke's version of this story, uh, he includes an extra detail that Jesus went on the mountain and prayed all through the night before he called them just to show the seriousness with which Jesus was taking this decision. It was a monumental decision. And the fact that he prayed so much shows he was taking his cues from God and not from what other people thought. Because I think as we'll see, if Jesus had taken his cues for who would make a great 12 from people and what they thought, he would have chosen an entirely different crew. But he took his, cue, his cues from God. So this is serious. This is a significant moment. And we get a quick summary of who they are. Uh, not a ton of details. For some of them, it's just their name. Don't know a whole lot else. The, the intent here is not to satisfy all of our biographical curiosity, like where were they from, what did they like, I don't know. That's not really the emphasis here. But we get a few details that, that could be important as we go. And then we get a quick summary of what Jesus called them to, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to cast out demons. We get a summary of what Jesus called them to. And that, this really quick summary is, is a very concise uh, overview of his work with them throughout the Gospels. And so we'll, uh, to frame that, we'll go back to our three M's. So first, uh, the man Jesus. Jesus called them to himself. Jesus called them to be with him, it says. That's just very interesting. You know, before, before any task, before any role, before any assignment, their call was to be with him, to be in relationship with Jesus. And his relationship with, him, with them was quite close. It was an intimate relationship that he was calling them into. They would travel together for long periods of time, doing mission together, entering new places together. They were, it was kind of a, a long road trip. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a road trip with some people close to you or been on some kind of adventure or a service project together or, or something where you kind of traveled together, had some adventure together. But there's something really bonding about that when you kind of go on an adventure together on a road trip with a group of people. It, it leaves a bond between you that, that's really deep. It's hard to explain. Uh, in a couple of weeks, Dave Carney here is going to take a group of 22 Worcester students uh, to New Orleans for a spring break service project. And, uh, and Liz and I will go the week after that. But Dave's group... Uh, they're going to go on a road trip. It's going to be nine days, and we've done this for seven, eight years now. I kind of see how it goes. They're going to hop on a bus. 
and, and go 27 hours, 27 hour bus ride to New Orleans, spend the week living together, fairly close quarters, uh, eating all their meals together, experiencing new things together, uh, talking about faith together, talking about big questions in life together, laughing together, crying together, working hard all day together towards a common goal, building a house uh, together. And, and I've seen this happen, you know, by the end of these weeks, when they take the 27-hour bus ride back up here, even people who didn't hardly know each other coming into the week, by the end of a week like this, they are just BFFs. Just best friends forever for those who need translation. And, and, and they, they're, I mean, they're like best friends. They love each other. It's an incredibly bonding experience. And they get back and they spend the whole first day back just on Facebook, tagging one another in photos and commenting on the photos. And oh my gosh, I already miss you. It's only been a day. When are we going to have a reunion? Um, it's really cool. And that's only like eight days. These guys were on, on a road trip with Jesus for years. It was, it was a close relationship. They were bonding. They shared everything together. They shared life together. They shared meals together. They shared adventures together. They shared very high highs and very low lows and great successes and, and real frustrations. They shared it all. Jesus called them his friends. Jesus had friends. I don't really think about that very much. But Jesus, he had friends. These guys were his friends. He called them his brothers of the most intimate type of relationship. That's what he wanted with them. He called them into that kind of relationship with him. I think this tells us a lot about Jesus, and in turn, just a lot about what God is like. Jesus' uh, ministry is entirely relational. Jesus didn't come as some distant, abstract, aloof, otherworldly, untouchable, larger-than-life, mysterious celebrity superstar who you couldn't touch, you couldn't get too close to. Not at all. And that's what God is like. Even the God of the universe, the ultimate being who could be that untouchable, unknowable, unrelatable being, is actually very deeply personal and relational. Wanting to be known Wanting to be in relationship, not wanting to keep us at a distance. Wanting the deepest of intimacy with us. It's a profound thing. And, and it's an important thing to see from Jesus' interaction with his disciples. He is relational, and God is relational. And good ministry is relational. Now, ministry is simply uh, helping people to understand who God is. And, and to do that, it, it, doesn't, it can't just be a program. And it can't just be a transfer of information or content or ideas. At the heart of it is relationship. I'm willing to bet that any of you who, who know Jesus and have a relationship with him got to that point in large part because of a relationship or relationships with other people. Good ministry reflects the character of God and, and therefore it's relational. It's a large part of why Liz and I were instantly attracted to this church. We could just tell, like Pastor Tom and Vit, they, they get that. It's obvious. They just, they're so relational. They welcome us into their circle, into their lives. They share life with us. I mean, young adults absolutely go to that lunch whenever it is today, at 2 o'clock. <laughs> just to reiterate, it's 2 o'clock today. 
And I can freely invite you because I know nothing makes them happier than a home full of us. They're so relational. They're so welcoming, so opening. And that's in the DNA of this church. It's a large part of why we're part of it. And I know as this church is going to continue to grow, if we're going to continue to grow, it's going to be because more and more of us take on that relational spirit that we're willing to open up our circles, open up our embrace, welcome others into our lives, share our lives with them, share life with them, make friends. And to do that with people wherever they're at in their spiritual journey. It's important to know that the the disciples that Jesus called at this moment, they did not have it all together. Not by any means. They had some serious issues yet to be worked out. But Jesus didn't wait for them to work them out before he called them to himself. He called them to himself so that he could work them out. And we're to do likewise, to welcome people, to open our circles, to open our embrace and welcome people in wherever they are in their spiritual journey that they might come to relate to us and ultimately to relate to Jesus. So Jesus calls people to himself. He's relational. He called the disciples that they might be with him. But not just that they might be with him. Verse 14, he also entrusted his message to them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. This is all about Jesus' message. From the very beginning, that was part of their calling, to be entrusted with the message of the gospel of the kingdom. A theologian named William Barclay says this, Jesus never wrote on paper. He left no printed book. Instead, he wrote his message upon men wrote his message upon men. I love that. He just kind of wrote his message on their lives. It's important to know here that Jesus did not choose people who were already experts in his message. He didn't choose people who already got it. He didn't have an aptitude test and the people with the highest grades get to be the ones he entrusted with his message. I mean, there were a lot of ways that the disciples at this point really didn't get his message. All throughout the Gospels, one of their defining characteristics that comes up over and over again is is they're kind of (laughs) dense. They're a little slow on the uptake at times. It takes a long time for them to get certain truths about what the kingdom of God is like. I love just a couple examples of this. You can flip with me if you want, or they'll be on the screen, hopefully. So in Mark chapter 10, we see an example of this. We see uh, James and John the sons of Zebedee, who uh, Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder. In, uh, in Mark 10, verse 35, they come to Jesus. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Then we'll skip down a little bit uh, in verse 41. So, so they make this bold, audacious request. Like they kind of get, the, they're getting the sense Jesus is a king. There's this kingdom. Okay. So in their minds, they're like, all right, power, glory. Let's get in. Let's get the top seat. You know, Jesus, can we sit on your right and your left when you come in your glory? Um, in verse 41, when the 10, the other 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Little rivalry there. Maybe a little comparison, a little jockeying for position. Then Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus needs to radically alter their picture of what the kingdom of God is like. They're seeing power. They're seeing glory. They're seeing conquest. They're seeing getting to the top, being the top dog. Jesus needs to turn their picture entirely on its head. The kingdom of God, this is a kingdom that's not built on power and conquest and domination. It's built on service and sacrifice. They're going to really need to get that in order to convey his message and to write his message on, on them in this way. It took a long time. It took some doing. To be great requires being a servant. It took them a long time to get this. Jesus didn't call people who already got that. He didn't call people who already got the message, but he called people and then wrote his message on them. And he's always looking for people on whom he can write his message. And it doesn't matter what your background is or if you grew up in church, if you didn't grow up in church, it's never too late for Jesus to write his message on your life and for you to be someone uh, who can get it, who can get his message. When I preached uh, last time in September, I mentioned... Uh, a cousin of mine who I've been in correspondence with. He's been actually in prison for the last 15 years, and justifiably so. Uh, but in recent years, he's, he's put his faith in Jesus in prison. We've been writing all these letters back and forth. This is the most recent one. And right now, his goal, uh, he's, he's just learning the Bible as much as he possibly can. Uh, let's see some of what he said. Uh, right now, uh, I am studying biblical Hebrew. I would like someday to be able to write, read the scriptures in their original language. He talks about all these concordances and, and, and commentaries he's gotten. Um, yeah, I have plenty of time, so I'm going to do all that I can now. Being in the Word is good, and every follower of Christ needs to not only read the Bible, but constantly to study it. I figure, what better way, then, than to know the meaning of each word? And because I know his story, it just blows me away to read that. In, in his own writing. I mean, here's a guy, he never, gra- he never even finished high school. He's becoming an expert in, in biblical scholarship. A guy whose life for the first 20, 25, 30 years of his life really did not reflect the message of the kingdom of God, being a life that God is now writing his message on. It's a beautiful thing. And God, I think, loves to do that. There are people in here and in our city on whom he is just waiting to write his message if we'll let him. No matter what the prior experience, there's no prereqs for this, just an open heart and a, and a desire to grow and to be changed. I'm going to look at one more quick passage. I'm jumping around, I know. But um, just another example of Jesus' writing his message on the disciples. This is in Mark chapter 4. Kind of a summary of the dynamics of Jesus' teaching Mark chapter 4, verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, them meaning the large crowds, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. The disciples came to Jesus. They asked for more. They drew near to him. They wanted to know him. They were close to him. And in that, explained more and more what his message was. He would speak to the crowds, and often his message would go right over their heads. 
And it would go right over the disciples' heads, too. They weren't any brighter or able, better able to grasp the message than anybody else was. But the difference was they were in relationship with him. They drew close to him. They were intimate with him. Which, again, draws you know, our, our two of our M's together. The, the message of Jesus and the man Jesus. They're, they're inseparable. The key to the disciples getting the message was their relationship with the man. Can't really have one without the other. The two go hand in hand. The message of Jesus and the man Jesus. And those two are tied together with our third M, the mission of Jesus. He drew them to himself and wrote his message on them so that he could send them out with it. Not just for their own personal consumption. God's word and his message in our lives is never just for our own personal consumption. It's not another good or commodity that we just consume like so many other things. It always is meant to have an impact beyond ourselves. And we see that with the disciples. He called them to him. He trained them and taught them in his message. And ultimately, it was to send them out. And that, he made no secret of that. From the very beginning, Jesus called them to himself that he might, they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to drive out demons. There's no surprise later on, like, oh, by the way, I actually want you to, to do mission as well. Like, right from the very beginning, they know that's part of the deal. And, and anyone who's here even just considering faith or whether you want to follow Jesus, just know that's part of the deal, is to also be part of his mission. From the very beginning, it was intended that he send them out to give, to preach, and to drive out demons, it says. To give verbal witness to the kingdom, to talk about it, to proclaim it, and to demonstrate it. And that's really what mission is. That's what ministry is. It's not just for special people or professionals or anything like that. That's ministry for every believer, to give verbal witness to Jesus and his message, and to demonstrate his message, to demonstrate the kingdom in our lives. There's a come and go right from the very beginning. Come to Jesus so he may send them out. The two go hand in hand. They're part of a normal life of following Jesus, coming and going. A lot of us are very comfortable with the coming. And we think the going is kind of for special people with a special calling. But it's really not that way. Coming and going go totally together. He was preparing them all along for mission. It's not just for special people. I mean, what was special about these 12 Nothing, really. Some of them were fishermen, I think four. Others had other professions. There's no profession that's any, any kind of more fit for mission than another. They were ordinary people without a lot of education. It wasn't their intellect that qualified them. It wasn't their social standing, their character. They weren't any better than anybody else. Their gifts or abilities, there were varying levels of gifts and abilities among the 12. Some of them had more leadership than others. It wasn't their politics. Uh, one of the neat details is that there was Simon the Zealot and Matthew, who was a tax collector, which, just to be brief, they would have been on total opposite ends of the political spectrum. Simon wanting to, like, overthrow the Roman government and Matthew, like, working for the Roman government. Must have been interesting dinner conversation. But it, it wasn't any of those things that kind of made them fit. Uh, another quote from a theologian that I've been reading, Everett Harrison says, Jesus' summons to them emphasized not their fitness for the task, but his own creative activity. 
He didn't call them because of their fitness for the task, but just so he could display his creative activity in their lives and make something of them. Jesus doesn't look for qualified people and then call them into mission. He calls people into mission and he qualifies them for it. Because it's not about us. It's about him working in and through us. It's the story of the whole Bible. There's a lot of great heroes in the Bible, but the, the story of the Bible is not, not, not about how good people are. It's about what a good God can do in and through imperfect people. It's a story about how good God is. And the disciples' story is a story of a good Jesus at work powerfully in their lives. I'll give you one quick example of how he uh, trained and equipped them for mission. There are many. Uh, This is a great one from Luke chapter 9. They were going to Samaria. So part of their calling and mission is going to be to to take the gospel outside of their culture, to cross cultures, to go to other places and share the good news of the gospel. One of them is going to be Samaria. So during Jesus' ministry, he went through Samaria and took the disciples with him. Normally, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. They hated Samaria. They couldn't stand Samaritans. It would make it a point not to go there. But Jesus would take them there. And he takes them there in Luke 9, verse 54, And uh, the Samaritans aren't very welcoming because there's enmity between the people groups that goes back a long, long way. And here's, here's the sons of thunder in action. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's where maybe they get the name, sons of thunder. I mean, they're ready to throw down, baby. They're like, Jesus, they disrespected us. They disrespected you. Like, it's on. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. I wish I knew what he said, but it doesn't seem important. Just that he rebuked them, that he changed their mind, that he took this moment to correct them and to say, this has no place in in my mission. If you're going to be the kind of person who's going to take the gospel across cultures and, and, and to Samaria, you can't do it with this kind of attitude. You can't do it with this kind of superiority and animosity towards other cultures, this kind of prejudice kind of thinking that your culture is better than theirs. So he, he was training them and equipping them for mission all along. And John eventually went to Samaria and preached the gospel, and a lot of people came to faith. Jesus was all along preparing them for mission, training them for mission. Again, they weren't really ready for it right away, but he made them ready. And he didn't wait for them to get their act together to call them into it. Called them into it and helped them get their act together. It's just the theme that keeps coming up over and over again. If you look at any pages of the gospel, you'll see Jesus calling the disciples to himself. You'll see him in relationship with them. You'll see him teaching them his message, impressing his message upon them, and training, preparing them, and equipping them for mission. Let's go back to the three M's. They go intricately together. They are inseparable Calling to Jesus personally, calling to his message, calling to his mission are all one call. So often in our ministry on campus, I work with college students, and and this happens a lot in churches, I'm sure, too, and we start to talk about mission. We start to talk about evangelism. We start to talk about having an outward focus and reaching out to people who are outside of our group um, and, and proclaiming the gospel in some way. Invariably, the question will come up, well, okay, that's great, but... We have to make sure we, we don't forget about the needs of, of the body. 
You know, what about our own needs? What about our growth? We, you know, outreach is okay, but we got to make sure we don't forget about our own growth. What about, you know, making sure that, that we're fed? As if the two are somehow in opposition to each other. Like, to do one comes at the expense of the other. Like, to do mission would somehow come at the expense of our own growth. That's not a distinction that is made in the Gospels. It's a totally false distinction. It's a totally false dichotomy. In fact, the best way to grow in your faith is to participate in Jesus' mission. The best way to grow in your faith is to participate in Jesus' mission. I mean, look at the 12 on mission from day one, accompanying Jesus and being part of his, his ministry. Do you think they were fed? Do you think they grew in their faith at all? Do you think they grew in their character, in their understanding of, of Jesus and who he was? Do you, think they, do you think they grew personally? Absolutely, probably more than anyone who'd ever lived up to that point. And they were on mission the whole time. Personal growth and being on mission with Jesus are not opposing forces. In fact, one fuels the other. Mission fueled growth for the disciples. All these situations that they found themselves thrown in raised their character issues to the surface and then Jesus was able to deal with them and transform them in the context of mission. We learn a lot about Jesus from his interaction with the disciples, how relational he is, how gracious he is, the, the order in which he calls us and trains us, not looking for the qualified and then calling them, but calling ordinary people, and then qualifying them. And we learn a lot about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it means a calling to all three of these things. A calling to him, a calling to his message, a calling to his mission. These 12 had a pretty unique calling to be with him physically on earth and to be the ones who started the church. That's not our particular calling. But the three elements are, are part of our calling any, for any believer, for any follower of Jesus to be in relationship with him, to grasp his message and let him write it on us, to let him transform us, change our way of thinking, and be people who reflect his message, and to be people who are on mission, who give verbal witness and lifestyle witness to the goodness of the kingdom of God in whatever sphere of life we find ourselves in. And he's not waiting for perfect people to do it. He's ready with any one of us right now. There is not a life in this room that Jesus cannot used for his glory in a profound way if we'll just let him. So I would love to pray that over us if the worship team would come on back up. We'll have one more song, but let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you don't uh, stand at a distance from people and from your creation. You got right in there. And thank you for the example of these friends of yours that you walked with. Thank you for choosing not the best and the brightest, but choosing ordinary people and making something great of their lives. So we look to you, God, to do that in our lives, in our church, and in our city, to be calling people to yourself, to transform us, to bring us into relationship with you, to write your message on our lives, and to equip us to Proclaim that message in our lives and our words throughout the city. Would you have your way in our lives and in this church to bring glory to you here in Worcester. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.